Amen. Well, let's go ahead and uh, open up to Matthew chapter 27, if you brought your Bible, and let's go ahead and pray as we get started tonight. Lord, we ask that as we consider the old rugged cross, Lord, we remember the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, may this be a time of remembrance for us. Lord, certainly for those who have been Christians for many years, having celebrated many Good Fridays with remembrance of the cross. Lord, may we not take it for granted. May we recognize the significance of the cross every single time we think about it. We thank you and we praise you for your sacrifice and for Christ on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, an old preacher named Donald Barnhouse told a story of the time that his wife died. They had gone to the funeral service and the family, Donald Barnhouse and his kids, had started driving home and his children, obviously confused and grieving that their mother was gone, Barnhouse was trying to console them and he was trying to think of ways that he might console. And so as they were driving home, a big box truck drove right beside them and cast a shadow onto the car. And Barnhouse, Barnhouse turned to his kids and said, did you see the shadow from the truck as, we, as it passed by us? And they said, yeah. He said, would you rather be hit by the truck or hit by the shadow? The kid said, well, of course the shadow. And he said, Christ was hit by the truck on the cross so that we can just be hit by its shadow. You know, taking our sins upon himself, paying for us, was the picture of the cross. In Matthew 27, we see Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas the traitor. He's already been denied by Peter. And now Jesus is with Pilate, the governor. And Pilate, the governor, beginning about verse 15, has the power to do whatever he wants with Jesus. So Pilate brings out a notorious criminal named Barabbas, and he brings out Jesus, and he says to the crowd, do you want Barabbas, or do you want Jesus to be set free? He was trying to earn their good favor, and so Pilate was going to release one of these two, whichever the Jews wanted, so that they would like Pilate more. Pilate assumes that they're going to want Barabbas to be crucified because he was a known insurrectionist. He had rioted and led a revolt against the Roman government. He had murdered at least someone, if not more. And then you've got this other guy, Jesus, who hasn't really done anything wrong. And so Pilate presents both of these men before the crowd. A lot of manuscripts that are written of this time period have Barabbas' name as Jesus Barabbas. Probably Jesus being a description of who Barabbas was, Jesus the name, meaning Savior. So Barabbas was probably given this title of Jesus because he was trying to save his people. Their Roman oppressors were oppressing and holding them down as captives. And so Barabbas came to try to save his people. And then you have Jesus, 
Pilate says, who is called the Christ. Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the Anointed One, do you want the one who has come to save, or do you want the one who has come to save? Barabbas has come to save you from the Romans. Do you want him set free? Jesus has come to save you from something else Pilate doesn't know. Do you want him set free? It's also interesting that the name Barabbas means bar, means son, and Abbas, we get Abba, like father, so Barabbas means son of the father. And then we have Jesus, who is literally the son of the father. So we have this very interesting picture here that the Savior from the Father saving you from the Romans and the Savior from the Father saving you from your sins. Who do you want set free? Well, the chief priests had kind of weaseled their way in through the crowd. And when Pilate offers these two men, one to be set free, the chief priest had convinced the crowd to say they want Barabbas. So the crowd shouts for Barabbas. And Pilate's now confused because that's not what he expected. And he says, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd shouts, crucify him. Pilate says, why? He's done nothing. Barabbas deserves it. Let a revolt, killed people. We should crucify him, right? And the crowd continues to shout, crucify Jesus. So Pilate washes his hands to show, I'm not taking part in this. The blood of Jesus will be on you. The crowd says, Matthew 27, 25, the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. They choose to be saved, not from their sins, but they choose to try to be saved from their physical enemy. And that's the picture that we have today. Following Christ does not often save you from persecution. More often than not, people are going to look at you and say, I thought you were a Christian. You're not supposed to say those kinds of things. You're not supposed to do those kinds of things at the workplace because you're a Christian. Persecution comes from being a Christian. If you just live as the world and follow the world and conform to the world, the world loves its own. So Matthew here in his gospel gives us this picture of who do you follow? Steve Jobs, a couple years before he died, was given a, a diagnosis of cancer, and he, told, he was told he wasn't going to live. And he said this, Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. And you see Christ moving toward the cross, certainly knowing that all of the things are less important than the death that he faces 
on the cross. In verse 32, as they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced him to carry his cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots, and then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him, writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him, if God takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And in the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. The sign above his head read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. That was his legal charge against him. He was being crucified for being the King of the Jews. The other men, who knows? Treason, murder, whatever their charges were, probably hung on a similar sign above them. So all passers-by would know this guy is being murdered on the cross for something that I shouldn't do. King of the Jews. Not even a crime to call yourself the king of the Jews. The chief priests... The scribes say to Jesus, if you come down, we will believe. They wouldn't believe, no matter what Jesus would do. Jesus had done miracles. He had proven himself. He had done things that they were not capable of doing. And yet they said, if you come down, we will believe. If you do a miracle, then I'll believe. If you heal my daughter, if you fix my problems, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll believe. See, often we're no different than the people that say to Jesus, if you do something for me, then I'll believe. The truth is, if we don't have faith, we won't believe. We won't have belief without faith. No matter what they see happen, they're not going to believe because they have no faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. The righteous will live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. 
If someone is not willing to believe based on faith, they're not willing to believe based on a miracle. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. If he's really the king, then come down and then we'll believe. But they would not believe no matter what Jesus would do. But there was one man who was ready to believe. Verse 45, Jesus is now about to die. And in verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn, earthquake, it's dark, there's all kinds of things happening. In verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him were keeping watch over Jesus, the centurion was a Roman guard who was in charge of about a hundred men. That's the centurion part of it. And so the centurion, a leader of probably the guards that were there back in, um, back in, I don't know, somewhere else, it says they all sat down and were guard. Oh, verse 36. These guards, they sat down and were watching him there. So as the guards, they've crucified him. He's on the cross. They have no other job except to make sure Nothing happens, so they just sit and watch. They see all of this transpire. They see the people come and walk by and mock him. They see his own people, the Jews, mock him. And this centurion sits there, and it says in verse 54, they were keeping watch over Jesus. They saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, and they were terrified. And they said, this centurion said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Of all the people who were there watching this happen, a Roman soldier with all of his friends around, with all of his men that he's commanding, with his co-workers, with his family that he's embarrassed to talk about Jesus with, with all of the people that he should be telling, he says, truly this man was the Son of God. A Roman soldier confessing openly that Jesus was the Son of God. If somebody took inventory of your life, is that what they would say? Is that truly you are a child of God? You know, when our life comes and our life ends, is that a eulogy that someone would speak of me? Truly, this was a child of God. There was a first-year college student that had just left for home, and he had never done his own laundry. So he was in his dorm, and he was embarrassed about how dirty his laundry had gotten. And so he takes a sweater, and he puts his dirty laundry in, inside the sweater, and he wraps it all up, and he ties it tight so all of his dirty laundry is inside and nobody will see it. And then he goes down the hall, and he puts it in a washing machine, and he starts it. It runs the wash cycle, it beeps, he takes it out and shoves this bundle of clothes into the dryer and the dryer runs and it's dry and he takes his bundle back to his room and he opens the bundle to put his clothes away only to find out they're still dirty. He was so tight, it was so bundled that only the outside looked good. The centurion was willing to open up his bundle. He was willing to let everybody know 
that he now believes that Jesus truly was the Son of God. Having said he was the Son of God, he proved he was the Son of God. I think that's where I find the interesting part of the cross in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew doesn't have a picture of the suffering and the blood and the pain and all of the physical things that Jesus went through. Matthew has this picture of Barabbas and Jesus. He has this picture of the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, and a Roman centurion. He contrasts all of these things. And just like Pilate, who do you want? Do you want the easy life that the world offers? Do you want to be saved from your physical problems? Or do you want Jesus, who is called the Christ? Truly, this man is the Son of God. Or if you come down and do some more miracles and do some tricks, then I'll believe. If you heal me and fix me and do all the things, then maybe I'll believe. And we're given that choice every day. Choose this day who you will follow. Jesus who is called the Christ or yourself. The centurion confessed having witnessed all of it, truly this man was the Son of God. The band is going to come up. We're going to have a time of communion. So come on up, band. You guys can come on up. If you turn back with me to Matthew 26, starting in verse 26, Jesus is having the Last Supper for the first time, the first Last Supper. We call it communion. He's taking and walking the disciples through this process. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus tells them, the bread represents my body, the blood, the juice represents my blood. And then they left to sing a hymn. Traditionally, after Passover, the Jewish people will sing Psalms 115 through Psalms 118. They call it the Hallel. I think for Jesus, Psalm 116, when they got there, was probably prophetic in many ways. Psalm 116, starting about verse 13, this is what they would have said after the Passover, right where Jesus is right now. They went out and they sung a hymn. This is what they would have said. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. 
you imagine Jesus looking, knowing that the cross is coming, that he will take the, the cup of salvation, that he will call on the name of the Lord and fulfill his vows in the presence of all the people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. The Hallel, the praise that they would offer, is where we get hallelujah, the praise of Yahweh. Jesus here singing before the cross, telling his disciples, here is my body, here is my blood. I am going to fulfill my vow. I'm not going to do this again with you until we do it in heaven. What a great picture of what we do in communion, that we do these things in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. So the band is going to take communion. And what you guys are going to do is we've got communion set up on both sides. So as you're feeling ready, feel free to just go over and you can get the bread, you can get the juice, you can take it there. You're welcome to use the steps as an altar and take it there. You're welcome to take it back to your seats. However you want to do it, we won't do it together. So just take the communion and take it there at the altar, at the seats, however you feel uh, best for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you that we can take a time to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. His body broken, his blood poured out that we might have life. What a great testimony of his life being lived for us. Lord, as the chief priest said, it only makes sense that one would die so that many wouldn't have to. What a great picture of Christ sacrificing and dying so that we all wouldn't have to. We thank you for your sacrifice of Christ as well. It's in his name we pray. Amen.